Well, I, I feel the need to uh, begin this morning in a, in a word of prayer. Begin our time in the Word anyway in a word of prayer. So let's pray. Lord, the text to which we will open up today is, is vast and big and large. Um, it's a bit like Your grace, God, which covers all and, and everything. And so, Lord, I would pray that You would um, even come and, and be with us. Lord, I think about how easy, and I confess even, even right now, how easy it is merely to, to mouth the words of, of thankfulness to You. Come into His presence with thanksgiving in Your heart and raise Your voices. And I've had a cold heart while singing those things. You did not wait for me to draw near to you, but you clothed yourself with frail humanity. Lord, I'm forever grateful, and yet how easy it is to mouth the words and have a heart that's far from really understanding the, the trueness or the measure of, of thankfulness that we ought to have. And, and Lord, I think this week as I have thought much upon um, the things to which you call us to and how we ought to be thankful in all things. God, how, how elusive it can be and how hard it is. And uh, so, Lord, I would pray that You would come now and convict us in our ungratefulness and cause us to see how we need to be, um, Lord, thankful people, thankful for all circumstances. And so be with us now. Use Your Word, God, by Your Spirit to convict us of God, truth, righteousness, the judgment to come. And show us much of the glories of Christ which we need so desperately in this hour. We pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. Well, many of you, I'm sure, have been in the position in your life at one point or another um, of looking for a job. And, um, you know, you, you scour the newspapers for job opportunities. You go to a place of employment and you fill out applications Maybe you've gone online to look for a job. And at one time or another, you, you get a job description and you see what it is and you start reading down it and, and, and to see if you're qualified or not. And then you come to this last line which says, other duties as required or other duties as assigned. And by the time you get down to that last line, there's a reason why employers put that description in there because it's practically impossible for anybody to really list out everything that you need to do in any particular job or not. And so really to kind of, it's a catch-all phrase that you, you throw everything in there, other duties that's assigned. You know, I think about someone whose primary job might be a, a checkout counter at Lowe's. You know, mark, <clears throat> marching people through, but there might be some time in which there's a, a mess made by a customer. I was there recently and this customer had this bag of sand and unbeknownst to uh, the customer, it had a hole in the back. And and I saw this um, checkout counter at Lowe's sweeping that up. Or, or maybe the other duties as assigned might be uh, helping to carry items to a customer's car. Or, or maybe um, looking up a price or directing somebody someplace. It just, it's a catch-all phrase. Or, or maybe you're a dental hygienist. And uh, though that's your primary job is to clean people's teeth, you know, maybe on a particular day when a blizzard's coming down, your job might entail shoveling the snow, or, or maybe you need to take the garbage out to the dumpster, or fill in for the receptionist when the receptionist is out sick that day. It's just the nature of jobs, right? It's the nature of the Christian life as well. 
And Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, really gets this other duties as assigned kind of verse that we've reached in our exhibition. We've been going verse by verse, phrase by phrase through Colossians, and we have hit chapter 3, verse 17. And he's been teaching them and instructing them about how it is that followers of Christ should walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which they've been called. In fact, if you look back there in chapter 3, verse 5, it's really where the, the turning point comes in terms of the the practical applications for how it is that we ought to live out our faith in Christ. He says in, in chapter 3, verse 5, how we need to put to death, consider as dead immorality, the members of our body, to immorality and impurity and passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to a idolatry. Right In verse 8, he tells them to put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And in chapter 9, he says, do not lie to one another. And by the time you're in chapter, in verses 12, 13, and 14, he's telling you to put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and love. And in 15, he calls us to peace. And in chapter 16, he says, let the word of Christ, let the gospel saturate your mind and let it flow out to one another. And lest he forgot everything, he comes to verse 17 and he says, whatever you do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Fills up anything maybe He forgot or didn't have space to mention. I mean, if you just start thinking for a little bit about the the Christian duties to which we've been called, how we we ought to cultivate our Christian life, there are many things that Paul didn't mention here in verses 5 through 16. He missed several, the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness and self-control. He didn't even talk about that. In, in Ephesians, Paul talked about how you need to avoid anger and bitterness and, and not stealing, but rather give. How you need to avoid silly talk or coarse, coarse jesting. But none of those things he included here in this passage. He didn't mention anything about pride or envy or strife or hating God, which he told the Romans were typical of sins of unbelievers. He missed a few of the Ten Commandments, right, which God gave to Moses, having no other gods before him, using the name of the Lord your God in vain, or staying away from murder or covetousness. I mean, he didn't mention all these things here in Colossians chapter 3. Some of that, was his purpose wasn't to, to uh, put out all Christian duty of all things that we ought to do as believers in Christ. And I'm sure if you would spend some time thinking, you could see some, oh, Paul could have said this. He didn't say this. He didn't say this. Right? But he did say it in verse 17, didn't he? Whatever you do, in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's amazing how exhaustive this verse is. Whatever you say and whatever you do, everything you do, everything you say, every second of every day that you live. It's it's right here in verse 17. I see that, right? Whatever you do in word or deed. And and you begin to start thinking about the implications. This is overwhelming, right? It's talking about everything you say to your spouse. Talking about everything, children, that you say to your parents. It's talking about the things you say to your teachers, or your coworkers, or your, your neighbor, your fellow church members. Everything you say ought to be governed by this. It ought to be in the name of Jesus Christ. You just think about your activities throughout the day, and right, what do you do? You you get up, right? You awaken. It needs to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You jump in the shower. You ought to take a shower in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you have breakfast. You have breakfast in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of you who get off to work, it's what you, it's what you need to do, right? You need to help with um, 
the generators or whatever you deal with, right? You need to build parts, right? You need to manage your store or look for a job. You need to manage your waste parts or your dump sites or whatever that is. You need to deliver the mail. You need to help with the pharmaceuticals, right? You need to get your printings there. You need to help with uh, counseling people, their finances, right? You need to pack your trucks, right? You need to uh, stock your shelves, sell. Right? You need to work on your enzymes, right? You need to see your patients and, and you need to sweep your floors and, and you need to check out people at the, the counter, right? And you need to order all your supplies and you need to, to shovel, Mark. You need to, to shovel and you need to <clears throat> trim your bushes and water and everything and you need to do your counting and you need to make sure your assembly line goes well and uh, you need to put up your signs, right? And you need to set up the, the equipment and you need to think farm. I'm not exactly sure what uh, your parents do. Or you need to program your computers, right? Or you need to take care of your people. And You're doing something, but I'm not sure what you're doing. You need to make sure that the auto assembly line is going. Right? You need to sell your insurance to make your phone calls, right? You need to make sure your orders are going right. You need to make your machine parts. And Gordy, <laughs> you retired. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> But everything, whether you're doing something or not, it all needs to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for you who are at home, perhaps you're not working, perhaps you're mothers, perhaps whatever, you need to dress the kids, you need to feed them, clean up after breakfast. If you're homeschooling, you need to teach them school, teach them how to do chores, manage their free time, manage their computer time and and television time, make lunch and clean up after lunch. If you have real small ones, you need to uh, change their diapers. You need to drive them to soccer practice, pick them up from school, help them with homework, just kind of anything around the house. You need to do everything that's involved in living. It's just men, women, all of us. We need to wash our clothes. We need to purchase new clothes. We need to fix the leaky faucet. We need to mow the lawn. We need to pay the bills. We need to vacuum the carpets. We need to clean the floors, read the mail, change the furnace filters, replace the light bulbs. All in the name of the Lord Jesus. We need to do our recreational activities as well, whether we're watching television or whether we're playing soccer or sewing or baking or playing golf or reading your email or going out for a dinner and a movie or going to a ball game or visiting friends or playing bocce ball or building your model cars or playing piano or using your camera or camping or boating or fishing or hunting, reading your favorite writer, taking a walk, going on a picnic. On a picnic. Everything you do is what this says you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when you finish your day and you lie down to sleep and you have your last moment, you need to sleep in the name of the Lord Jesus. So exhaustive is this worth everything you say, everything you do. The life of a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't simply happen at church. It doesn't simply happen in this room. It includes all your life. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 24-7. You do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what's this mean? I mean? It's easy to say, but what does it mean practically? How do I mow my lawn in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do I change a diaper in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do I make a business phone call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I just thought about a couple different aspects of what it means. I mean, First of all, I think it means that we do things in complete submission to His authority, right? It means that in our minds we're recognizing that we are servants of the Most High God. 
I mean, that is what Colossians is about. It's about Jesus Christ, the sovereign, ruling, preeminent One. Chapter 1, verse 16, By Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And as we do things in His name, we are submitting to His authority and His dominion and His rulership of His life. And in fact, a lot of this comes to His authority of, of what God has done for us. I mean, chapter 3, all these admonitions, they don't come without reasons. I've been very important as we've gone through here. It's not that you need to do this and do this and do this. We, we do this because of what God has done for us. Right? Chapter 3, verse 1, you've been raised up with Christ. That's why we seek the things above. Chapter 3, verse 5. Right? We consider the members of our earthly body as dead to immorality. Right? Because it's God who's put us to death. It's God who has, has made us alive. Right? We, we put off those old practices. We put on the new practices of what everything that God has done for us. And we are a glad follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we do everything that we do in, in realizing that He is the authority over us. That's what it means. There's also something else it means. It means that we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are His representative upon the earth. As we live... We are one who has been sent by the Father, sent by the Son as His representative on the earth. We're ambassadors. We go Where we go and what we do is to be a reflection of our heavenly King. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right? In other words, when people see the way we talk and people see what it is that we do, they ought to see in us a reflection of God. Right? Think about that verse. We should do our works. Let it shine before men so they might see us and say, Oh, what a good person you are. Wow, you're so kind. No, no, no. We're supposed to do things in such a way that they might not see us, but they might see our Heavenly Father through that, right? So they might see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. And I think that's what it means. You need to do things in the name of the Lord Jesus so when people would see what you do, it somehow is a reflection of God Himself. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's another thing. <clears throat> I think it means that we... We need to live our lives consistent with the example that Christ left upon the earth really as an expression of our love to Him. People need to see that what we do is because of Jesus. Our love for God is great. I mean, He's the one. Chapter 3, verse 12. He's chosen us. He's made us holy. He has loved us. And and everything we do walks an expression, walks in an expression of His love towards us, right? First John 4.19 We love because He first loved us, right? We love others because He loved us. And as we love others, we are doing so as an expression of our love towards Him. And really, if you look at all of these instructions that Paul gives us, you could argue pretty well they fall into the love category. And all that we do should fall into the love category as well. He loved us. First, and that's why we love others. But you know what? Perhaps most important of all, in doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus, I think here it is. You should live your life in total dependence upon God. 
Live your life in total dependence. You know, left to ourselves, we're weak. <laughs> I mean, we can't change a light bulb in the name of the Lord Jesus all the time. We are weak. We can't do these things. But we need God to help us and to, to work in us for all things, as mundane as they are. In fact, turn back to chapter 1, verse 29. This is a great picture of the way our sanctification works. I remember being here before, and it's it's really a great picture of, of how it is that we ought to do these things. Paul is talking particularly here about the ministry, but you can apply it to your life and everything else as well. Paul says this, For this purpose I also labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. Here it is, Paul working night and day working hard, laboring with all his might, setting his heart upon the ministry, and yet he realized that ultimately it's not his own strength that's accomplishing these things. What is it? He's laboring according to the strength which you provide for me. That's what he's doing. And that's what it means, I think, to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? To, to every moment of the day, realize, God, you need to strengthen me right now that I might do things with a proper attitude. They might realize that I'm in submission unto your authority, that I'm, I'm, I'm living out as a reflection of you, that I, I'm desiring as an expression of my love to, to do these things. Matthew Henry summarized this very well. In his commentary at this point in Colossians 3.16, he said that we should do everything according to His command and in compliance with His authority by strength derived from Him with an eye to His glory and depending upon His merit for the acceptance of what is good and the pardon of what is amiss. You know, that's such a good summary. I want to read that again, right? We should do everything, Matthew Henry, according to His command and in compliance with His authority by the strength derived from Him with an eye to His glory and depending upon His merit for the acceptance of what is good and the pardon for what is amiss. That's what we should do. Let me give you one practical help in doing this. I think you should give everything the will God be pleased test. Will God be pleased, right? Take everything that you have done throughout the day and just say, you know, was God pleased with that? Was God pleased with that? Or, or think about the things maybe you're planning on doing or the things you're, you're planning on next week or tomorrow or the next hour or the next moment. So you either turn the channel or you think about what you're going to do or what you're going to read or what you're going to expose to. Whatever you're doing, will God be pleased with that? And I think that your conscience will know well enough what sorts of things please the Lord and what sorts of things displease the Lord. This would be a great guide to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. And that ought to be the desire and heart of, of every Christian. To please Him, not because we fear Him, but because we love Him. Well, let me show you an example, a practical example, about how you can... Uh, have this test. Was God pleased with what I did? Or will God, will God be pleased test? You know, recently my wife was away for a portion of the day. It's about a week or so ago. And, and she left the, the kids at home inside. And I was out in my office doing work. And she'd given them a big list of everything that it is that they were supposed to do. And at one point, the kids came in and they said, Dad, can we play with the video camera? It's kind of this old video camera that they like to play with, you know, and just kind of do something with it. But anyway, they wanted some free time. And I said, well, have you done everything on the list? And they said, yeah. 
And so I took the list and I went inside and when it wasn't quite right, I made him do it. And then there was one point on the list there where, where Yvonne had given SR some homework to do and I didn't know exactly what the homework, but here's what I said. I said, SR, now when mom gets home, will she be pleased with the work you've done? And when he said, yep, I said, okay, it's good enough for me. And I think that's the kind of test that we ought to take in our minds just to ask at the end of the day, we lie on our beds, we say, well, was God pleased with that? Was God pleased with me today? And we plan our next steps or our next moments just to always ask, will God be pleased? I think that will help scope how you can do all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, we've dealt with the first half of verse 17. I, I want to just move into the second half of verse 17. Right? This is giving thanks through Him to God the Father speaks about the attitude with which we should do all these things. We should do this with an attitude of, of thanksgiving. Giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And last week in my exposition, remember verses 15 and 16? I skipped over a couple phrases and Andy Krauss was so good, I got to the end of my message and I said, what did I skip? And Andy said, you skipped thankfulness. And I'm so glad that he saw that because... He sees that we just deal with the text as it comes. It's right there in verse 15, right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. <clears throat> I just totally skipped that command. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, I didn't include this, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And now we see in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. You know why I skip those things? Not because they're not important, but really because they're all important. Last week I had great visions in my mind to, to crescendo my message with a, a statement of thanksgiving and, and even then come today with a whole message on thanksgiving. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of my message. I want to really focus on thanksgiving because thanksgiving is the glue that pulls these things together. Just as love, verse 14, beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, I see also thankfulness here as being a key element to verse 15, 16, and 17. Well, let's think about thankfulness. I think we all have an understanding of what thankfulness is. It's an expression of your heart towards others to show that you are aware and I guess I can't use thankful in my, in my definition, right? But you are aware and are, are um, appreciative of the things you've received, whether it's a compliment from somebody, whether it's a gift from somebody, whether it's uh, you seeing a job well done, whatever it is. Like, uh, children, you know what this is about, right? December 25th, you know what's going to happen on that day, right? Or maybe some of you December 24th, right? You'll have these boxes and one, at least our children get, well, maybe a little more than one, maybe two or three or eight or, you know, how many boxes you have. And what do you do? You open this up and you find out what it is, right? It's a new Lego set, right? Or it's a, it's a new doll or it's, uh, you know, this sewing kit or this new guitar. Whatever you get, what do your parents teach you to do? You immediately turn to the person who gave it and you say, thank you for this. I, I think I'm really going to like this. Even when your grandma gives you socks, you need to say, thank you, Grandma. Sometimes more heartfelt than others, but that's kind of what Thanksgiving is all about. 
And uh, that's what we need to do. We need to be people who are filled with thanksgiving. You know, one of the chief characteristics of the unsaved is that they're not thankful. Do you know that? It's one of the chief characteristics of the unsaved. In Romans chapter 1, Paul's listing the sins, right? He lists ungratefulness kind of as one of the crowning sins. He says, Romans 1.21, even though they knew God, right? They knew God through the creation that was made, these unbelievers, they did not honor Him, ask God, or give thanks to Him. Unbelievers are going to be held accountable for their ungratefulness to the Lord because He revealed Himself to everybody and yet they've turned away. Or in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul lists off the sins that characterize the, the last days, which are evil. <clears throat> he said, Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. He goes on for several other verses, but this ungrateful, that's a big sin. Richard Baxter called those who are ungrateful devourers of mercy. Because the one who's ungrateful consumes the good, oh, but never seeks to return the mercy in kind. It's one of the greatest evils, right? Because ultimately, ungratefulness refuses to acknowledge the kindness of God in sending His Son to save us from our sins. Well, let's look at the, each of these verses. And, and what I want to do this morning as we go through thankfulness is look at verse 15 and say, okay, what does thankfulness have to do in that context? Verse 16, what does thankfulness have to do in that context? And then verse 17, what does thankfulness have to do in that context? Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Here we see our thankfulness is connected to the peace we ought to experience in the body. Thankfulness and peace in the body. You know, there's an amazing correlation between a thankful heart and peace that flows out of it. You ever had a difficult time in your life? Time maybe you're questioning God. Maybe you're discouraged with how things have worked themselves out. You know what an antidote to solve the problem of just discontent with God is? Start listing out all the things you're thankful for. You start listing the things you're thankful for and it begins to give you an entirely different perspective about who God is and you find yourself at peace with God like at no other time. <laughs> Biblical writers do this all the time. Think about Asaph, Psalm 73. He was discouraged with life. He saw the wicked and their prosperity. Their body was fat. They had no pains in their death. They're always at ease and they had increased in their wealth. That's the wicked. And yet he himself, for being godly, quote-unquote, following the Lord, what did he get? He was stricken all day long and chastened every morning. You know what changed his heart, though? He reflected upon the reality of what's true. He said, Then I came into the temple of God and I perceived their end. And he saw that they were going to be destroyed. As a result, he gave great praise to God. This doesn't mention the word thanks, but I think it is thankful to God. He said, Who am I in heaven but you? There's nothing I desire, O Lord, on earth except for you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever, is what he said. Kind of changes whole perspective around. And thankfulness has a way of doing that. We realize the things we need to be thankful for, it changes our perspective. Randy Alcorn wrote, we are never thankful for what we deserve. We are deeply thankful for what we know we don't deserve. 
when you know that you deserve eternal hell, it puts a bad day in perspective. If you realize you're undeserving, suddenly the world comes alive. You're surprised and grateful at God's many kindnesses that were invisible when you thought you deserve better. And instead of drowning in self-pity, you're floating in a sea of gratitude. Isn't that how it works? We see the heavenly reality. We start listing down the things we're thankful for and our peace with God just dwells in our heart. What's true with God is true with other people. You know, it's really hard to have a disagreement with somebody who's expressed their thankfulness to God for you. Do you know that? If someone comes up to you and says, boy, I'm really thankful to God for right these good qualities that this person sees in you or the work that you've done for someone, it's really pretty difficult to disagree with them, isn't it? When someone expresses such appreciation, it does something to your heart. You say, you know what? That person's for me. He's not against me. Right? They're on my side. And then you realize when they're on your side, there's peace among the brethren. That's how it works. You know, I'll give you another illustration from our family. This this past night we were up late and our children had gone to bed. And um, I was in bed and then Yvonne crawled into her bed and she pulled back her sheets and she starts getting in and it was dark. And she felt something in the bed. She said, what is that? And so she turned the light on and, and she revealed this, this piece of paper just sitting in her bed. <clears throat> it has a picture of a, a landscape here. You know, I think this is a lake. I'm not sure. And trees and... And then there's a, some stickers here. This is a, an F-14 fighter pilot. And, and this is the stealth bomber. And here you can see the, the parachute is coming out here. And, and here's what was written. <clears throat> Dear Mom, thank you so much for taking Hannah, Carissa, and I to the Rockford Air Fest. I loved it. Love, SR. You know what? If we had any discouragement about anything that SR had done that day or disobeyed. All solved. All solved. Children, take note. (laughs) The church, it works the same way. You show me a church where the church members continually expressing their thanks to God for various evidences of grace they've identified in each other, and I will show you a church that experiences great peace in their community. You know, something I learned this week that really convicted my heart was this. Is there's a big difference between being thankful and expressing your thankfulness. And I know, you know what, I've been poor in the past about this. And by God's grace, I want to change my ways. And I want to express my thankfulness more to others. Think about the story. Luke chapter 17. Ten lepers came to Jesus. You remember that story? Let me just read it for you so we get kind of all the facts right. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He felt on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? 
He said to him, stand up and go forth. Your faith has made you well. Now, let me, here's, here's the thing that really convicted me this week. If we would have the opportunity to go and talk to these nine lepers who were healed, and we said, this is Channel Eyewitness News, and um, are, are you thankful for this? What are you going to say? I think every single one of them would have said, yeah, I'm thankful. <laughs> I used to be an outcast society, now I've been healed. I'm thankful. I think every one of them would have said, yeah, I'm thankful. But you know what? Only one expressed his thanks to Jesus. And I think that's the point. There's a big difference between being thankful and expressing your thankfulness. Jesus here pointed out the one and said, He gave glory to God. What about those? They didn't say anything. Because thanks is, is primarily almost a something you say and speak with your mouth. Right? Which comes and draws us now to verse 16. Right? Where we see that thankfulness is connected to worship. Right? It's, spoken to, it's connected to words that we say to the Lord. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Here it is. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Right? Singing and the thankfulness here might not necessarily be words, but it's an attitude in your heart which comes out in your singing. It comes out in your joy. Right? And this isn't so surprising that we find the context of thanksgiving in the context of worship. I mean, the psalms are filled with admonitions to give thanks to the Lord. Consider these. Phil read for us this morning. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 108, verse 3. I will give thanks to You, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to You among the nations. Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. Psalm 118, verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 138, verse 1, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. Just five references. But, you know, I counted just even in the Psalms, explicit references to using the word thanks or thankfulness like 50 times. Either a commandment to give thanks or an expression of the psalmist that says, I will give thanks to you. The Psalms are filled with admonitions to the Lord. Filled with those actually giving thanks to God. In fact, so filled is this idea in the Psalms that one scholar I read talked about all the times in which Thanksgiving is in the Psalms. And he said this, he said, you know, this word thanks doesn't really mean thanks. What it really means is praise. Because it's used so much in the Psalms. Praise, praise. I give thanks to you. What does it mean? It means I praise you. Well, I think he's wrong, but I think he's right. Because I think eminently with thanksgiving is so wrapped up in giving praise to God. That's what thanks is. It is worship. It is giving thanks to the Lord. Right? And when it comes down to it, isn't this why we worship the Lord? We worship Him because He's been good to us and we want to show our appreciation to Him for all the kindness that we've received and respond to Him by saying how thankful we are. And it is interesting. What is the greatest thing you have to be thankful for? Probably your salvation. And through Colossians, Paul mentions thanks three other times even before this reference and every time it had to do with salvation. Look in chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is there in a prison with Epaphras writing to Colossians. says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. In other words, he's saying, I'm here in prison, but I'm giving thanks to God because he's transformed your life and your believers in Christ, giving great glory to him. I'm thankful for your salvation, is what he says. And then in chapter 1, again, another prayer, verse 12. He's talking about how he's praying. He's praying for these people. They might get to the point that they would be joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his saints in light because, or for, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's praying that Colossians would so understand their salvation that they would realize the inheritance that they had, that they would joyously be giving thanks to the Lord, right? Who qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, who rescued them from darkness and brought them into the light of the kingdom of Christ, redeemed them and granted them forgiveness. That's salvation, right? That's the essence of our salvation. We don't deserve heaven in any way. We're in bondage to our sin, but God is the one who broke through in our darkness, shone in our hearts the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, has shown us the glories of Jesus, and has granted us redemption and forgiveness of sins we might enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what more do you have to be thankful for? Paul was praying that these people would realize what they have in Christ and be thankful. The next reference of thanksgiving comes in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And again, we find it coupled around just... just salvation, right? Therefore, verse 6, chapter 2, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and here it is, overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude is the same word used in Thanksgiving, all these places, just a different form of that. When you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, you receive Him by faith, and so by receiving Him by faith, you need to walk your life by faith in Him. And in so doing, you're going to be, be built up and, and your faith is going to be steadied. And how should we do that? We should do that overflowing with gratitude. Just overflowing the thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in my life, for the work that you're continuing to do and I'm continuing to trust you and I'm thankful that you are with me and helping me all the way along. That's what it means to get, be thankful. Be thankful for our salvation. You know, there's a verse in Lamentations 3, verse 39, which is so good, which shows the flip side of this. Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? In view of your sins before God. What do you have to complain about? If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? But there is forgiveness with you, and that ought to cause us ultimately to give Thanks in everything. There's nothing for which we should complain. This really leads us now into our next verse, verse 17, where we'll finish in a bit. But 17 is so big, right? Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Do you realize the Bible commands you to be thankful? It's commanding us here to be thankful. In everything we do, we ought to do it in such a way that we are giving thanks through Him to God the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says as clear as any place. It says, in everything give thanks. So you try to skirt out of the issue. Well, I give thanks for these things, but I can't give thanks for this. I can't give thanks. Paul says this. Paul says, you give thanks for everything. That includes the good and that includes the bad. 
You need to give thanks for all those things. I say there's nothing that comes upon your life but that doesn't come from a sovereign hand of God. And there's nothing that comes upon your life which you have a proper understanding of the sovereignty of God you can't properly give thanks for, right? The promise of Romans 8.28 is that God causes all things to work together for good. You know what? It may not appear good at the moment. God doesn't say He just gives good to His children. He works all things together for good to those who love Him who are called according to His purpose, including some bad things. If things come into our lives that appear to be sour, we need to trust the Lord that the Lord is going to use them working all things for us to work together for our good. If trials come into our lives, we realize that they've come so as to produce endurance of our faith and give us wisdom. Right? A thorn in the flesh might come, might be painful, but we need to thank the Lord because it might just keep us from boasting and discipline which either our parents apply or that the Lord applies. <laughs> As the writer of the Hebrews says, it doesn't seem joyful for the moment. Amen. But afterwards, those who have been trained by it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Right? God brings the good and the bad upon our lives to work it all together, some spaghetti somehow, for our good. And if we know that, we can then obey here that in all things we can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. You know, Isaiah 45, verse 7 is really good. It says, God, I'm, I'm God, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I'm the Lord who does all of these things. God is doing these things, bringing the good and the bad, ultimately to work it together for your good. And through the Bible... We have instances of God causing the bad so that it would work together for the good. Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife that he might later deliver his family from famine. Right? And it gets down to Genesis 45. And he says, you sold me, but, but God's the one who sent me here. I mean, like three or four times in chapter 45, you can look at the number of times that it says that God did this to me and has sent me here ahead of you. And terrible to, and thrown into the prison. And yet Joseph was thrown into the prison that eventually he might get into Pharaoh's house, that he might be second in command, that he might rescue God's promised people into Egypt. That's how it works. Job lost his family, his health, with a purpose they might put on display what it means to trust in the Lord. And he said, right, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And God used, we know that Job... But God used Job with his conversation with Satan to say that, you know what? He's going to worship me regardless. I am so worthy in his sight. He says, oh, no, you take away his family. He still worshipped him. Oh, you hurt his skin. He still worshipped him. That was ultimately then for good. Nebuchadnezzar was brought low, had his reason taken away from him, was out like a beast for seven years so he might be humbled. And so might come to a true knowledge of the Lord of heaven. <laughs> That's not such a good thing, is it? Become like a beast? It's a terrible thing, and yet that's what God used. Manasseh brought into the dungeons of Babylon with hooks and chains that he might be humbled, that he might then come to know the Lord. That's what God does. And the only way that we will ever learn to be thankful for all things is that we have a God who is working all things together for our good. 
since we love Him and since we're called according to His purpose. William Cooper said it well. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. That's what God does. Behind a a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. Oh, we may not understand at a particular time what to be thankful for. And yet, you know, we do need to be thankful. You know, I can think about this morning. (laughs) You, You don't know this. Many things took place behind the scenes of church stuff, which, you know what? I, some I told Ivana on the way to church. I said, you know what? We need to be thankful for this. Amy, our pianist, called sick this morning. Kind of changes and jumbles things. I get here to church and I forgot something at home. I had to go home and get something. While I'm home, unbeknownst <laughs> to Ivana, I slam the door shut and we have this picture here on, the, on our, our, like a little desk. Glass everywhere. And he gives thanks to the Lord. While I'm home, Jake found out I was home. He gives me a call. Steve, if you're there, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Uh, and I, I kind of just was too late and then I answered the answering machine. He said, you know what? There's been a mix-up. We don't have bulletin inserts. That's why when we're singing, you get your bulletin inserts a little bit late. You know what? We need to give thanks for all those things. You know, and some of those things I think maybe could have been thwarted, could have been stopped, could have been prevented. But you know what? God is using it somehow in His way to work together for good. And that's what we need to do. And, and you know what? Here, here's what I would say. It is precisely when difficulties come and you are thankful during those difficulties that you will give great opportunity to show how great God is. Right? It's not too extraordinary for the world to be thankful when something goes well with them. You ever seen a... Someone who just won the lottery, right? And there's some press conference and they're announcing, right? The, the day the person wins the lottery and all the people here from the lottery association are saying, oh, congratulations. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever hear anybody complain on the day in which they receive their million dollar check from the lottery? You don't because the world understands prosperity, right? When they land a big job or, you know, when they sell something or when they do some great things, they're thankful, certainly. But it takes notice when difficult things come and you're still thankful. Can you be thankful when your house burns down? In everything, give thanks. And it may be hard, but you need to be thankful should your house burn down. Because at that moment, you're going to have an opportunity to testify to the world of your trust in the Lord. Can you be thankful when your brother dies? Can you be thankful Dying of cancer. Can you be thankful when you lose your job? Can you be thankful experiencing financial trials? The command is in everything. We ought to give thanks to the Lord. And you know what? It's just these times when things are particularly difficult that we give thanks to the Lord. The Lord uses that in great ways. I remember the story of John Wesley. You remember that? He's, he's in England and he's, he's sailing across the, um, 
the Atlantic to get to um, America. I think it was Georgia where he was going to minister. You know, he was a <coughs> minister and he was going to preach or something there. And um, on the way, he experienced these German Moravians for the Germans. There was a, a one point he wrote in his diary this Sunday when the Moravians were in the middle of a worship service and the, 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 the boat is casting back and forth. And I just read what John Wesley wrote. He said, In the midst of the psalm wherewith their service began, the sea broke over and split the mainsail in pieces and covered the ship and, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. But the German Moravians calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, was you not afraid? And he answered, I thank God, no. And I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no. Our women and children are not afraid to die. And you know what? That attitude of thanks and praise that would continue on singing the psalm amidst the, the earth, the sea crashing over them was the very thing that God used to convert this minister to understand he didn't believe in God at all. And down through the ages, there have always been saints who have endured great difficulties. Look at the circumstances through thankfulness and have changed and transformed many. The, the story of Amy Carmichael. You guys know that? As a child, she was born with brown eyes. How many of you children have brown eyes? You know what? She didn't like her brown eyes. You know, and she prayed for blue eyes. And she was talking with her mom and mom said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. And she, was praying. she prayed earnestly one night and then got up and looked in the mirror. And Did she have blue eyes? She didn't. And she was just despondent and depressed. And she came with her mother and said, I prayed for blue eyes. And her mother had to comfort her and say, you know what, even a no answer is an answer to prayer. Well, if you know the story of Amy Carmichael, she later went on the mission field to India. And at one point, she heard about some terrible things happening in the temple with some temple girls. And she couldn't really get in there. So she dressed up like an Indian, stained her face, put on a sari, and with her brown eyes, walked past undetected and could minister among the Indian people in ways that she couldn't have had. She had blue eyes. And then she came to understand that she was thankful for her brown eyes. She should have been thankful as a child. But it took later seeing how God was working all things for her good. Fanny Crosby, right? Six weeks old. Doctor makes a mistake, puts the wrong medicine in her eyes, doesn't help her eyes, burns her eyes, blind. One could think it caused her to be bitter. On the contrary, she said... She wrote all these hymns, right? So she writes this. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. And later she would say, it seemed indeed by the blessed providence of God. And there you see the sovereignty of God coming in again, that I should be blind all my life. And I thank Him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. Giving thanks in all things. 
Matthew Henry. This is one of my favorite stories. He's on his way to a Christian gathering, mugged in the street and robbed of all his money. He went and he preached his gathering. And he came back home, reflected upon his day in his diary. He said this, Let me be thankful that I was robbed tonight. In all things give thanks, right? Can you give thanks if you're robbed? Here's what he said. Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed another. I have some more stories, but for the sake of time, we can't hit them. I just close with this last illustration that God has commanded us to be thankful. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. As a result, we aren't to be those who dwell upon the negative things. Rather, we're to put on the glasses. Right? If you've ever read the book, The Wizard of Oz, when they get to Emerald City, do you know why everything's green? Because when you enter the city, you're given these glasses which are green. And so everything looks green. And we need to look at life with thankfulness glasses on our hearts and our minds so that everything we look at, we can look at and find something of thankfulness. Now, it might be a little hard. But we can do it. Here's some suggestions. It might take some work, but there's some ways. If your clothes are fitting a bit too snug, be thankful because it means you have enough to eat. If you find yourself cleaning up a mess after a party, be thankful because it means you've been surrounded by friends. If you find yourself grumbling at the taxes you pay, be thankful because it means you're employed. If you find yourself in despair over your heating bill, be thankful because it means you're warm. If you're overwhelmed with the household projects, mowing the lawn and fixing your windows, be thankful because it means you have a home. If you're tired of doing the laundry, be thankful because you have clothes to wear. Maybe you can start figuring out this pattern, all right? If you begin to complain because the only parking space you could find was way at the far end of the parking lot, be thankful. Why? Because you can walk. If you cringe when you listen to the lady who sings off-key behind you in church, be thankful. Why? Because you can hear. If you're tired of people complaining about the government, be thankful because it means you have freedom of speech. If you hate it when the alarm goes off early in the morning hours, be thankful because it means you're alive. Let's live at life. Let's live life through a thankful colored glasses. It's the only way we're going to do it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Well, one way that we can do that is the Lord's Supper, which as Jake said, we celebrate, we're going to celebrate this morning simply for those who are thankful for the work of the redemption that's in Christ. We've gone long. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining that, but simply this. We pass bread. We pass the cup around. It's a symbol is all it is, the body and bread of Christ. So those things come and they, they pass by your aisle. Just, just take the bread, kind of hold it. We're going to sing some songs. And just hold it and reflect upon how you need to be thankful for everything that Christ did for you. Because at the core, it's the heart of your salvation. 
is in Christ Jesus. So let me pray and then the men will come forward and um, we'll sing some songs. Lord, I am thankful to You that You have um, sustained me through this message. You've taught us much, I think, this morning about thankfulness. Uh, I pray, God, You'd keep us thankful people. I pray we'd express thanks to one another that peace might rule in our body. I pray we'd express our thanks and praise to You that worship might be filled, heart-filled. And I pray, Lord, that in all things we would look through thankfulness-colored glasses to be thankful in all things. And Lord, I would even say, especially when things don't go the way we want them to, because we know that You have a greater plan. You're either working character in our life, or You're working some other sovereign plan for Your good and for Your glory. So I pray that we would accept these things in the midst of our trials, rejoice. In the midst of our difficulties, be thankful that in everything we do, by word or deed, may we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. In His name we pray. Amen.